Well, I want to welcome you. If you're a guest, I want to welcome, well, all of you, but also our guests. Uh, also, those of you in online with us in our Destiny Table, New York. So glad to have you. There's uh, notes in the back by the communion. If you'd like notes, you can go to the Destiny app and have notes for this morning. Um, man, Fill the Fire was a great time. I think there was really something that kind of reset. And, and uh, I shared something at the very end, just something we prayed through. And I've just felt as I've prepared for today to, to kind of switch and, and dive deeper into those things. Because I just sense the Lord, the Lord is in it. So we're going to look at John chapter 9, if you have your Bibles. We're going to uh, dive in there. And we're going to read a pretty um, lengthy amount. We're going to read the whole chapter of John 9. Uh, so, you know, we're going to read a book. In fact, we may just read the whole New Testament. We just may do that and get done sometime on Tuesday. <laughs> Don't laugh. I'm a slow reader. No, I'm just... But uh, let's just dive in to God's word. What do you say? All right. John 9. Here we go. <clears throat> As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it was not this man, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works for him who sent me while it is day, because night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with saliva. Now just pause for a moment. Imagine you're a blind dude, and you hear a guy go, Right? You can just, I don't know, I imagine the, like a Monty Python skit, the blind man like, what's going on? Right? And then all of a sudden, right in your eyes, you know, you're not sure what that is. All right, he spit on the ground mud with saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes, which is a polite way of saying he put mud in his eyes. And then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud, and he said to him, go wash off in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. And so he went and washed and came back seeing. Verse 8, the neighbors... And those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said it is he, and others said no, but, it's just, uh, but he is like him. In other words, he just looks like him. And he kept saying, no, I'm the man. <laughs> Isn't that funny? No, look, I'm really the dude. No, you just look like him. So they said to him, then how were, you, uh, then how were your eyes opened? And he answered, the man called Jesus made mud and uh, anointed my eyes and said to me to go to, the, uh, go to Shalom and wash. So I went. And washed and received my sight. And they said to him, where is he? And he said, I, I do not know. So they brought, uh, they brought to the Pharisees a man who had formerly been, been blind. As I, like the you know, artist formerly known as Prince. <laughs> they, verse 14. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him, who is, um, who is he who has received his sight? And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and now I see. And some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such a sign? And there was division among them. So he said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? And he said, he is a prophet. Verse 18. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and, and had received a sight until they called the parents of the man who had received a sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? Verse 20. His parents, notice that his parents, answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he's of age, for he will speak for himself. Parentheses, his parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. And therefore his parents said, he is of age, ask him. 
So for the second time, they called the man who had been born blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. And he answered, whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. And they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And, he, and the man answered, I told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples? <laughs> now, I just got to be honest. I love it when there's sarcasm in the scriptures. It's my love language. So, and they, they rivaled him saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. And the man answered, why is this amazing? Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the blinds of a, uh, eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and you... Uh, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. And Jesus heard that they'd cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, uh, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I've come into the world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we ask that we would meditate on it in such a way that you would speak to us deep unto deep. Spirit unto spirit. We, we're bombarded with the opinions of men. So I pray that you would just keep this time from that. Speak to us. Lord, we just take a moment and we pray for our children. We ask you that you would give them a heart to know you, to walk in your ways, that they would behold your beauty and your glory and desire to dwell in that all the days of their life. So bless those who are ministering to them now. Give them grace, anoint them for that. And Lord, I pray that in here, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. And I'm going to need your help for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> it is said that as somebody develops an education, between their starting of education and about the fifth grade, you're learning to read. But after the fifth grade, you read in order to learn. So prior to the fifth grade, you're learning to read. But after the fifth grade, you're reading in order to learn. And so if you get behind in reading by the, by the fifth grade, you're going to continue to be behind because now the thing you're behind in is actually the means by which you learn, you're learning. This makes sense? Pastor uh, Lawrence uh, uh, has reminded us of the scriptures that you will all be taught by God. And that is true. But just as literacy is to education, so is discerning God to being taught by God. We have to learn to discern God, to see God, if we're going to be taught by God. And if we don't know how to do that, then we're going to get more behind as we try to grow with God. Does this make sense to you? So this is a story that we're looking at about learning to see God and how different people missed out on what God was doing right in the midst. I know, I've heard it, I've seen it all throughout my life. I, when God showed up years ago in a little Baptist church that I was pastoring, we had almost 200 miracles in like 
in like a six-month period. It, it was, and I just ran into people all the time and say, if I see a miracle, I'll believe. And then they see one, and they're like, well, you know, it's it just, you just, we don't even, we, we don't even know what it is we're looking for sometimes. And so I want to talk about learning to see and maybe some hindrances to seeing. We all miss God, don't we? We all can miss God. And the truth is, we can end up thinking that something's wrong with us because we miss God. And the truth is, there's nothing really wrong with us as, as, as much as there are these internal issues that can become patterns, and these patterns can hinder us from seeing God. And so we have to deal with some of these internal things if we're going to be able to have a life of seeing God. It's not just, it's a skill that we also learn and develop. It's a muscle we can flex, as the writer of Hebrews says. It's our, our senses can be trained in order to see and discern. But it's also some things going on inside that we must look at. So we need to confront these patterns. We need to repent of them. When we see them, we need to receive healing sometimes. And then we need to continue to try to discern God if we want to grow in that. Now, when I say repentance, everybody kind of feels like it's a dirty word almost. Like if, you're, if you say I, someone needs to repent, you're being judgmental. Uh, look, repentance is, first of all, repentance does have to do with sin. That is important. We can repent of sin. But you also can repent of other things besides sin. You can repent of mindsets that were were appropriate for the last season, but are no longer appropriate in this season. When, when Jesus came, people were offering physical lambs, like little four-legged creatures, on the altar to God. And God accepted those sacrifices uh, before him. But the day that Jesus dies and the veil of the temple is torn, that next day you can sacrifice a four-legged lamb and it will no longer be acceptable before God. The day before it was acceptable and now it's no longer acceptable. Why? Because the economy of grace had changed because Jesus has come and the lamb has been slain. So the four-legged creature no longer has any economy, any, any um, power, any work before God. But one day you're doing exactly what God says, but then God does something that changes everything. So the next day you got to change with it. You have to repent. Change the way you think. That's not just, that's not repentance from sin. That's repentance, as the writer of Hebrews says, from dead works. You tracking with me? By the way, that's an elementary doctrine that the church taught. Repentance from dead works and faith towards God. So we're learning to repent, which can concern mindsets. And one of the things that we have really hit hard at Fuel the Fire is that there's this change of season. Something's changing, and with the change of season comes a change of mindset. We have to repent in our mindsets, and I want to try to help us maybe figure out what some of those things are. So this season that we've been talking about that we're stepping into is really a season of personal ministry where all of us are learning how to be ministers before God, that we're all being equipped, that we're all becoming part of the body of Christ as we are and, and becoming ourselves, so to speak, but uh, actually working out our calling uh, everywhere that we are. We are all ministers, and God is inviting us to see him in the ordinary events of our life and to join him in it, to see his kingdom come and his will be done in the ordinary events of our lives. And so I want to talk about maybe what are some hindrances to seeing God. So let's take a look at the story and the different people in the story. Excuse me, my mouth is really dry. So this will be fun. I'm just going to leave that off. hope I don't knock it off. Here we go. So number one, the story starts with, and Jesus saw a man born blind. Let's just start with some really good news. The good news is this. Even when you can't see Jesus, Jesus sees you. And all of your attempts to try to discern God and you, you say, I just don't know what God's doing, then just pause and take heart. You may not see him. He sees you. 
And when you don't see anything God's doing, when you can't seem to see what God's doing around you, then just pause and meditate on the fact that he sees me. Just receive the fact that Jesus sees me. You can be blind as this blind man was, but Jesus sees you. And realizing that Jesus sees you, sees you opens up a great possibility of healing, of shame and guilt and all the rest. I am seen by God. So the story doesn't start with how well we see. Your journey in growing in discernment doesn't start with how well you see. It starts with the fact that you are seen by Jesus. We got to get that straight. I am seen by God. He sees me. Now, Jesus saw man born blind. The disciples saw his blindness first. Isn't it, isn't it interesting? Jesus saw the man born blind. The disciples saw his blindness. And if we're going to learn how to see God work around us, we have to be careful that we, that we see people and not just their problems. We don't just see what's wrong. Listen, the addict is not an addict. It's a child of God who has a problem. But to identify, just to see the addict or to see the addiction and not see the person will, keep, will hinder us from seeing what God may want to do. We don't just, we're not just surrounded and interact with coworkers and people who are lost souls. These are prodigals that just happen, haven't come home yet, who still have a father whose eyes are on the hills waiting for their return. They're not just lost, they're prodigals. See, so how do we see people and not just see the problem, not just see the expenditure they may cost me? How do we not just see them as an inconvenience? Listen, God often will show up in your day as an inconvenience. Right? G.K. Chesterton used to say it, uh, an inconvenience is just the wrong name for an adventure. If we want to just see God, we have to be prepared that God may inconvenience us a bit. Rarely does he show up on your calendar schedule. Right? But I thought it was a good point. We must be careful then to see people. Our first task of ministry is to see the person and to love them. Right? So, sorry to rub my beard a little bit. All right, here we go. So the first thing is Jesus sees us, and we want to see people. The second thing is the disciples missed out on what Jesus was doing because they were asking the wrong question. They were asking the wrong question. The disciples used this man's misfortune as an opportunity for some theological inquiry. Hey, Jesus, this man's blind. Who sinned, him or his parents? In other words, they're wanting to take this man's misfortune who's standing right there and have a theological discussion about how we got there. They were asking about cause and effect. They were asking about how did he get here? Why is he like this? And they missed what Christ was doing because they were seeking knowledge about the situation without, while wanting to avoid responsibility towards the man. I want to know how he's like this, but I don't want any responsibility towards him. They sought understanding without seeking love. They sought insight about him without having to love him. And Jesus' response tells us that Jesus was not asking questions about how he got here. Jesus was asking questions like, Father, what are you doing? And how do I participate with you? In other words, if we're gonna discern God, we have to realize that Jesus tends to be and start from concrete expressions of love in a particular situation. He doesn't just start with theory about how people got here. Listen, there is real cause and effect in the world. There are things, people that make decisions, and decisions have consequences. That's all true. But all the cause and effect in the world doesn't change the fact that God may actually want to show mercy in that moment. So instead of getting all of the cause and effect right, 
Let's start with, God, what are you doing? And how do I participate with it? The disciples missed out because they're asking why. And we often do it, don't we? When we're in the situation, why is this happening to me? Or why did I not get the job? Or how come this is this way? Or how can I keep this from happening to me? But Christ was asking the question about responsibility, about participation. Lord, what is it you're doing and how do I participate with you? The disciples might have even thought, um, if I could just know sin a little bit better, then surely I will know God a little bit better. And that was grounded and rooted in a very outdated religious mindset. Listen, my friends, we do not get to know God better by knowing sin better. We come to know sin better because we got to know God better. Our focus is never on the sin. Listen, if you focus on, if you think, focus, let me put it positive. Focusing on sin will never lead to holiness nor transformation. We focus on the Father who loves us. And he will search us. David prayed, search my heart, O God, and see if there's any waywardness in me, right? Psalm 53. You can go looking for your own sin if you want, but great. What are you going to do when you find it? If you could have done something about it, you would have done something about it. The real issue is not going and seeking all the bad stuff because there's plenty of it. The issue is Jesus, search me. Whatever you want to deal with, point it out because whatever you're going to point out, you're going to give me grace to overcome. So if we're going to really see Jesus, we don't start with um, trying to understand sin better. We try to understand the Father better and what is he doing, knowing that that is where the power comes to actually overcome sin. We focus then on what God is doing. Jesus helps us see that knowing God actually shapes the way we see sin, human suffering, and humanity, not the other way around. So Jesus saw the man, the disciples missed out because they were asking the wrong question. I would just ask you the question, what question do you often find yourself asking in the face of human need and suffering? The third thing would be the, na- the neighbors. These neighbors have seen the blind man day after day but they had trouble identifying him. The neighbors missed out on seeing God because of a paradigm that did not make room for the supernatural or the impossible. They knew the blind man. They had walked by him all of his life. But what they thought they knew better was blind men don't see. And now this blind man sees and they can't even believe their own experience. They don't even trust their own eyes. And there's a reason for that. There's, there's a, we have these cognitive filters, if you will, that helps us organize and make sense of reality. And the problem with these cognitive filters is they get um, affirmed day in and day out, day in and day out. And then they, they have, they have very, they have a, the problem is they, they don't tend to let new data in when it comes, right? And so when we have mindsets that are focused a certain way, we don't see, uh, we see things by the way these cognitive filters have shaped. So in other words, let me put it this way. Be careful about what you think you know because it might keep you from knowing what you need to know. Be careful what you think you know about God because it actually may cause you to miss what God's doing right in front of you. If you would have asked the neighbors, do you believe in miracles? They would have said yes and they would have probably quoted the Old Testament about parting the Red Sea, about plagues. They were good Jews. They would have believed in it. If you'd have said, do you believe in the Messiah? They would have said yes, he's gonna come. What they didn't expect was him to walk into their neighborhood and heal a man down the street. So let me ask you a question. Do you believe that the God who does the impossible can invade your neighborhood your next door neighbor, your son or daughter, your friend in crisis, your prodigal child. Sometimes it's easier to believe God for a miracle for someone else 
that's far off than to believe it at home. And these neighbors missed out on God because they couldn't believe their own experience. And that helps, that leads us to a really deep spiritual truth. We do not see and then repent. We actually repent in order to see. In John chapter 3, Jesus is meeting with a Nicodemus. I, I, when I used to preach in a, a youth camps, we used to, uh, never mind, it doesn't matter. That's cheesy. I used to call him Nick at night. I thought that was funny back then. <laughs> I know, it was pathetic. I get it now. So yeah. That was a long time ago, all right? So Jesus meets with Nicodemus, and he says, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. You see, he wanted to see first and then repent, and Jesus is saying, no, you have to repent if you're going to see. We think, well, if Jesus will just confront me, I'll repent, and it's the opposite way around. We repent in order to see. Okay, well, I'm going to give you a chance to do that in a minute, so hang on. So they missed out on seeing what God was doing around them because they didn't have room within their own worldview to see what God's doing, and repentance makes that room possible. The next group that missed out what Jesus was doing was the Pharisees. Now they bring the blind man to the Pharisees. The Pharisees missed out on seeing what God was doing around them. They were hindered in seeing what God was doing because they were more interested in protecting the structures that gave them power and comfort. Now listen, we give the Pharisees a bad rap sometimes, but listen, the Pharisees were like, they were like the committed of the committed. They, they, um, they were like Shiite Jews. <laughs> that was a bad analogy. But those two things don't go together, do they? But they were, they were zealous for God. We give them a bad rap, but, but they, they really wanted to be faithful and, and then inside of that created their own structures. And so all of a sudden, instead of asking questions, you would think you would ask a question like this, what is it like to see as an adult for the first time? Like, tell me what it was like to see colors for the first time. You think that would be the kind of inquiry they want to ask. They want to ask, who did it, and when did he do it, and did he break the law? It's just interesting. Jesus lays his hand on the blind man and casts out blindness. The Pharisees lay their hand on the blind man and cast him out. You see, there's something about the structures of our lives where we draw comfort and power from, that when God shows up in a way that begins to threaten those, makes it very difficult for us. So we need, to, just before we give the Pharisees a bad rep, we have structures and powers that we derive comfort and power from. And so I want to just say, we need to name what those are, and we need to be prepared to know that God may actually confront some of those. So God may ask you, you may, if you want to see what God's doing around you, he may be inviting you to do things in which you've got to put your reputation on the line, and which you have to put your, your business on the line, or which you may have to put um, how people see and understand you, or how you want to be seen and understood, all on the line. And if those are places you derive comfort and power from it's going to be very difficult to let go so we have to name them now lord i know it's going to be hard for me in these areas but i want to hold them loosely we have to humble ourselves and say i i desire to see you more than i desire to protect these places of comfort and power and we have to be prepared that god will confront them the pharisees were not look when we feel comfortable we often feel comfortable because we're in control but look, any control you think you have is an illusion. Let's just be honest. Listen, Christians are the kinds of people who can live out of control, so to speak, because we know the one who is in control. We can live out of control. Listen, we can, 
we can live a life where we, our will is not getting done and we don't know what's gonna come tomorrow because we know there's one who sits on the throne of heaven and earth who is good to me, who's been made a covenant to me to be faithful and kind to me. And even if it costs me my life, he'll be good to me. We can live in a sense not needing control. But I just wanna say in my own life, when you try to start to discern and you say, God, I wanna see what you're doing, I wanna join you in it, be ready. Because he tends to like, you know, he's like, God, let's do this over here. And he goes, no, I want to do it right here. No, this one's real close to home. And he's like, I know, that's why I'm here. All right, there's times where it's like, you know, Jesus saying, get farther out on the branch, son. And I'm like, well, Lord, it's shaking. I look back and Jesus is like, I know it's shaking. I'm the one shaking it, you know. Now get out there. The Pharisees were sure that they knew what God was doing because they knew what God had said. But God had changed the season and they refused to change with it. They actually, when they come, when the Pharisees, when the blind man comes back to the Pharisees the second time, they actually appeal to Moses for their authority. They say, we have the law, which came through Moses, which came from God. Our authority comes from that, is what they're saying. But what they don't realize is the very one who gave the law to Moses was in their midst, and they couldn't see it. So just be careful about your other previous experiences with God, because it might keep you from the new experiences with God that you need. Hold it loosely and say, Lord, we want to see. Then there's the parents. The parents of the blind man missed out on seeing what God was doing because they feared the loss of their community. And that fear was not just made up or imaginative. It was very real. They're going to kick anybody out of the synagogue who says that he's the Christ. This is a very serious situation. But on the day, the parents should have, had the, should have been a joyful celebration that their blind son sees. They're crippled with fear. The parents' experience tell us this. They missed out on what God was doing because of the fear of what they may lose if they say yes to God. And in this particular case, it was community. In other words, what the parents found out, it is easier to belong to a community than it is to belong to God. Look, my friends, it's easier to come to church than it is to be the church. It's easier to come here and to worship or fuel the fire and we're safe environment in here than to go out there and follow Jesus in the ordinary events of our lives. And they had to, they were confronted with that and the fear of the loss of that community. So fear will always be something we will face when it comes to saying yes to God and learning to trust God with what we fear losing is the first step towards overcoming our fear. In other words, for the parents' sake, it would have been the community. It would have been something like this. Lord, I trust you that if I am to be rejected from my community that you'll find another community for me somewhere. That if you made me with the needs for community and in saying yes to you, I'm rejected by this one, you will land me somewhere else where those needs will be met or you will meet them themselves. That's how good you are. And we say yes. The only first step, not, not the only, the first step to overcoming fear is to learn how to trust God with the thing you fear losing. Because there's no other place, to tr there's no other place your fear is more secure than with God. Whatever you think you, you are going to get in order to secure your fear, then you have to fear losing that thing. So I finally got the job I needed and the promotion. Now I have the income. Now, I ha now I'm no longer afraid of, of not have, or having lack or not having enough income, but now I gotta be afraid of keeping the job. You see, whatever you put your trust in, that is either what you have to then begin to fear losing. But when we can trust God with the thing we fear most, we can let our hands off and step back. If we're going to see God, it's going to cost us, and we've got to learn to trust God with the things we fear.
So in a day that, again, that should have been filled with so much celebration, they were plagued with fear. But then there's a blind man. The blind man this whole time has been on his own journey of discovering Jesus. Jesus heard that the blind man got kicked out and he found him again. Isn't that good news? Even if you get rejected by the community, Jesus can find you. Look, we cannot be afraid. We cannot be so afraid of being rejected by men that we forfeit the intimacy with God that we need to truly feel accepted in the first place. Our acceptance first comes from God and then that gets put into flesh in, a in, a, in God's community. But it do, our acceptance doesn't come from the community, it comes from God, right? And sometimes we can be so afraid of losing that. But the blind man gets kicked out and Jesus found him. But Jesus found him in order to continue to reveal himself to him. So after Jesus heals him and the blind man is, first gives his testimony in verse 11, the, blind man refers to Christ as the man called Jesus. And then later in verse 17, he calls Jesus a prophet. But then by verse 38, he, Jesus completely reveals himself to him, and the man makes a full confession of faith, saying, you are Lord the Christ, and he worships him. This entire time when people are missing out on who Jesus is, the blind man's on a journey of discovering deeper and deeper and deeper who Jesus really is. And it's the irony of the story, isn't it? That while all the other people had their sight, the only person in the story who sees Jesus is the blind man. Like that's an indictment. And it is. And Jesus calls this judgment. This is the judgment for which I've come. He says, those who do not see will see and those who think they see will be made blind. So my friends, we must humble ourselves. We must ask the Lord, help us to see we must admit that whatever, the, whatever seeing you think you see, you need to realize you only see in part and ask God for more clarity and more insight. We must humble ourselves and not be the people that think we see the most clearly. For those are the ones Jesus says, I will make blind. We must confess and acknowledge the hindrances within us of seeing God. We must do our best to repent of that as best we know how and receive God's grace in our lives. And then we must acknowledge something I think is important. Just as the blind man needed healing in order to see, I believe we need healing in order to see. We need emotional healing in order to see. We need spiritual healing in order to see. We need mental healing in order to see God. There's all kinds of healing that needs to take place in our lives in order to see God more clearly. So it's not just, Lord, I want to see. It's, Lord, would you heal the places in me that are hindrances to seeing. Look, I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna ask the worship team to come. I, I'm gonna tell a story and then we're gonna kind of land this plane. There's a story about... Um, Isaac in the Old Testament who wrestles with God. 
He wrestles with him all night and finally just says, you know, I'm not going to leave unless you bless me. And it's as if God is saying, boy, I've just been playing with you this whole time. He just touches his hip, throws his, throws his hip out of socket, right? You guys remember that story? And uh, he changes his name. He's no longer be Isaac. He calls him Israel. I've heard a bunch of really poor definitions of what the word Israel means, so I have no problem adding my poor definition to it. But, uh, just a joke. but I think Israel literally means one who's seen the face of God, one who sees God. And look, this is what I have to say. Israel wrestled with God all night, and it even cost him, he limped the rest of his life. Nobody, nobody sees God or wrestles with God and then, then, you know, spikes the ball in the end zone like they won. You're going to wrestle with God, you're going to lose. But here's the good news. You get to see God. What are you doing with your life that's more precious than that? You got to see God. And I'm asking you to begin to wrestle with God over some of the dark places of our souls, some of these things that we're not even aware of that hinder us from seeing God, and get in there and wrestle with them. The things I regret the most in my life are not sermons I didn't preach or not leadership decisions I didn't make, but the times where God invited me in to wrestle with him over the dark places of my soul, and either out of arrogance or self-absorption, I refused. But to get in there and say, God, I just want to see, even if that means I have to limp away from this. Because look, maybe what the world needs is not a perfect church, but maybe they need a limping church who limps, but they limp towards God because they see him. Well, our GP2RL, our God's presence to real life this morning is to repent where the Holy Spirit convicts you and to begin to look for God in the ordinary events of your life this week. To just repent where he convicts. I'm not asking you to go search and find stuff, but just repent and then look for him in the ordinary events of your life. Let me just conclude with one more story, if you don't mind. Um, years ago, I, I, uh, I kind of cut my teeth preaching by preaching every little podunk country church in southeastern Oklahoma you can imagine. Uh, from youth to Sunday services. and I was asked to come preach a Sunday morning and it was within a driving distance in my house. I woke up early Sunday and I was driving there praying about what I should be preaching on. And I had written a great sermon. I was excited about it. And I just had this sense as I was driving. There was a message I had taught years ago on forgiveness. And I just felt that kind of coming to mind. And I remember just kind of pushing it down thinking, that was a youth message. I taught that at youth camps. This is adults. I want to impress them with my theological insight and my homiletic power. <laughs> I know all of you are laughing right now, but that's, that's what I, you know, what's going on. And I remember struggling with it all the way there, and then finally I just put it out of my mind, said, I'm not doing it, I'm going to preach the message I planned. I get there, and worship goes, and I launch in, and listen, you think listening to a bad sermon is bad? No, let me tell you something worse. Preaching a bad sermon is worse. I launched into that about five minutes in, went, oh, I have set sail to the wrong ship. And it was just dead, but I went on. I'm no quitter. <laughs> Afterwards, you know, like in small Baptist churches, me and the pastor at the back shaking hands with people as they leave. And lady came out, just, I don't know how to describe her. She looked like a bird, just 
like this and, you know, kind of shook her hand and she just kind of went on. And I said, what's her story? And he said, you know, she used to be one of the most amazing saints. About four or five years ago, her daughter was raped and murdered in Atlanta. And he said, she's just been bitter and mean ever since. And then he said these words. I just think sometimes that if God would open her up with forgiveness, a whole church would see revival. Now, I had had planned to go with the pastor to lunch afterwards and then come back and teach that evening. And I said, I'm going to have to skip out on lunch. I got some repentance to do. And I remember I went in my car and I grabbed the steering wheel and I said, oh, God, forgive me. I'm so sorry. And I just said, I'll, tonight I will preach that sermon. I will go after it. And I just want, this is my experience. I felt the Lord told me, no, you won't. I gave you a chance to partner with me and you refused. I am not saying that that lady's healing was dependent upon me. I think God came and God healed her. What I'm saying is I had an opportunity to cooperate with God and I missed it. And I'm not gonna get that one back. It is a joy to partner with God. It is a honor to be a part of what he's doing. And we're not always gonna get a do-over on them. I don't think I lost my salvation. I don't think that lady somehow was condemned to unforgiveness her whole life because of my disobedience. I'm just saying, in that moment, God invited me to partner with him in what he was doing, and I refused. Now, what I'm saying is, that's going to happen, perhaps. But why don't we be a people who go in a headlong rush as fast as we can to say yes to God? knowing that even if we make mistakes, God will use our mistakes for his glory and his good, and he will work it out for our good as well. Would you stand with me? This is like a do. We're going to have a time of worship, but I just want to... I'm going to do something unusual. We have a, During worship, we have the time for communion. It's in the back. You can time to worship through giving, the giving stations, envelopes there, the giving station in the back. Usually we have a prayer team. We don't have, we're not, we don't have a prayer team this morning. This is what I'd like to do. I'd like to invite you, if you'd like, to just repent. To say, God, there's just things that I have, I've missed you on. And there's places I need healing in order to see clearly. To take a time during worship to do that. You can come to the altar if you'd like. Let's just make it old school. You can come up here if you'd like. You can do that in your chair. But we're going to take time to worship. And I'm just going to ask you to respond as you feel led. With the Holy Spirit convicts, respond to him. And then let's worship together.